1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will read together verses 12 through 27. And because this is the word of God, you are the people of God, and this is the Lord's day. If you are able, would you please stand? First Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, the apostle Paul writes as he is carried along by the spirit of God, these words. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And verse 20. Six, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Church family, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I once heard a story some years ago, I've shared this before in the pulpit, perhaps not here though, about three pastors who got together for a cup of coffee. And during their conversation, they discovered that their churches faced similar facility problems. Each of the three churches suffered from a bat infestation. Less than desirable, doubtless. As they discussed possible remedies to this problem, one pastor said, I got so mad, I took my 410 shotgun and fired at them. This must have been East Tennessee. (laughs) Hallelujah. I made a few holes in the ceiling, but did nothing to the bats. Second pastor said, I tried trapping them, but I had zero success. The third pastor responded, I haven't had any more problems eager to learn about this pastor's success. The other two pastors asked the question, what did you do? I simply baptized them and made them members of the church. I haven't seen them since. (laughs) 
Ouch. Is that about us? I hope not. Well, a little levity for us as we talk about church membership together. As many of you know, I mentioned this, I mentioned this a moment ago. We are right in the middle of a short sermon series. In this series, we are unpacking the church. We're unpacking what it means to be the church. Last Lord's Day, we talked about the nature of the church, and we looked at various images throughout Scripture concerning the church, those images that communicate something of the essence of what it means to be the church. This morning, we come to the topic of church membership. Church membership. And in some respects, there is nothing more elementary to Christianity than church membership. I thought about that this week, really. Nothing more elementary in some respects than this concept and practice of church membership. It converges, that is church membership, converges with questions like, what is a Christian? It converges with the question, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ? How can I represent Christ to a watching world? It it converges with some of the essential tenets and functions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That is, church membership does. And this is perhaps why belonging to a local church has been commonplace for Christians throughout church history. It's just been a part of what Christians do. They belong to a local church. To better understand and live according to what Scripture teaches about church membership, we are going to ask and answer three questions. And these three questions are questions that we use from time to time, especially when we are addressing a topic. And we find these questions often in the text as well, but especially when we take a step back and we address a particular topic from the Word of God, I find it helpful to use three questions. These aren't, of course, original to me. This is a kind of outline that I was taught very early on that I enjoy. Here are the three questions we're going to ask and answer. First, we will ask and answer the question, what? What is church membership? What is church membership? And here we aren't merely interested in providing a definition. We are interested in increasing our understanding regarding the nature and value of church membership. The nature and value of what church membership really is. Secondly, in addition to the question what, we will ask and answer the question why. Why should you join a church. Some of you are already members, even of this church. Others, members of another church. Why should you join a church? We could put it this way. Why should every Christian be a member of a local church? And I believe that with all my heart. Why is that the case? I want to build a case for church membership. And that will probably be the bulk of the sermon, if you're leaving room in your notes. Finally, after answering the questions What is church membership and why should you join a church? We will answer the question, how? How then should we respond to what we've heard from God's word this morning? How should we respond as followers of Jesus Christ to what we've heard this morning? Well, let's begin with our first question. What? What is church membership? Now, membership, if you think about the term itself, membership carries with it the idea of participation and at times some amount of investment in a club or organization. You may maintain memberships in various clubs or organizations. Country clubs have memberships. Local networks of businesses have memberships. Academic journals and guilds have memberships. But none of these really capture the essence 
of what we mean when we refer to membership in the church. You see, membership in the church, this concept comes from Scripture itself. And one of the clearest passages in the Bible about the concept and the image is the one we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. So when we think about members and membership, we ought to go to the image of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. Look down at verse 27 with me, if you would. We won't be in 1 Corinthians 7 throughout the, rather 12, throughout the entire sermon, but we are going to make note of a few things in the text. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Notice again what Paul writes. Now you are the body of Christ and individually what? Members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He'll use the same language later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. The imagery of membership then comes from the analogy of anatomy, actually. In other words, not from organizations, not from networks, but from the human body. To be a member is to be a part of the body. And so, to be a member or part of the human body, and you know this, is to be a vitally connected part of that body, right? I mean, my index finger is a member of my body. And it is, at this point, vitally connected to my body. Of course, if at some point it no longer was vitally connected to my body, it would cease to be a part of my body and actually would, would lose its source of life. To be severed from the body would be for it to die. In fact, in the medical field, those of you who are in the medical field know there are times when someone might be able to reattach, as it were, to one degree or another a part of the body. But you have to do it quickly. There's a way to do it. It takes great care and precision to do so. We know that this analogy from anatomy, the human body, we know that every part of the body is a way of referring to this vitally connected part of that body. That's the analogy the Apostle Paul uses, and that's, that's the concept from which we get this broader concept, church membership. So, now don't miss this, to be a church member then is to be a vitally connected part of the church. To be a church member is to be a vitally connected part of the church. What we're doing is we're describing a relationship between the individual Christian and the rest of the body of Christ, known as the church. This kind of membership is not obtained through paying fees, right? We don't obtain church membership by tithing, giving offerings. Rather, that's just an outgrowth of our membership. This kind of membership is not obtained through various acts of, of service. You don't, you don't receive church membership after you've proven yourself to have served in these ways. You've served in, in student ministry for the previous 12 months faithfully. Then you've, you've earned the right to be a member of this church. No, no, that's not the way church membership works. Membership in the body of Christ, the church, is received how? By being joined to Christ through faith. It's really that simple. And we talked about this last Lord's Day, actually, to come to Christ, and don't, don't sever these things, to come to Christ in faith is to come to the church as a member. 
To be joined to Christ is to be joined to his body. To become a son or daughter of God is to become a member of God's family and a citizen of God's kingdom. That means, by the way, that what we're saying this morning is predicated on a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means that if you're here this morning and you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, we would exhort you to embrace Christ this morning in faith. If you've never surrendered to Christ, if you've, if you've never placed your trust and your allegiance in Christ Jesus as Lord and Master, if you've not come to realize love and, and trust the reality that Jesus Christ has died in place of sinners on the cross, that he purchased your salvation by means of his life and his death, that he was buried, that on the third day he was raised in glorious power, conquering sin, death, and hell, that he appeared to many of his disciples. Eventually he ascended into heaven and someday he's coming back to this earth to make all things new. If you've not embraced this Jesus Christ, we exhort you to do that this morning. And if you'd like to talk more about this, we would love to visit with you. You can stay after the service. And as you exit this room, take a left and go out to that room known as the crossroads. As I mentioned earlier in the welcome, it's, it's titled just above the entrance and there will be an elder in there who would love to visit with you about what it means to become a Christian, to treasure Jesus Christ, to serve Jesus Christ. So all that we're saying about church membership really is built on top of our union with Jesus Christ through faith. I would like to say something about a common misunderstanding of regarding membership in the church. I think it's quite common. I've even found it in my own heart, in my own mind at times. There is a narrative that suggests that one can become a member of the universal church without the need to become a member of a local church. It's common. It's one that I talk about on a regular basis with others that one can become a member of the universal church through faith in Jesus Christ and never actually become a member of a local church. What this fails to do, and we're gonna unpack this just for a moment before we move on to our second question. What this fails to do and fails to see is that the local church is the inseparable expression of the universal church. The local church becomes the manifestation of the broader universal church. And so to come to Christ in faith, of course, is to become a member in the universal church. And then that faith in Christ and membership in the universal church gets expressed through membership in a local church. So scripture refers to the church being a, on the one hand, single and universal reality. And on the other hand, a single and universal reality with many inseparable expressions called churches. For example, let me give you a couple of examples from scripture. Jesus speaks of building his church, singular. I will build my church. And he's gonna build his church on the rock of the apostles and the apostolic faith. Matthew 16, verse 18. I take it that Jesus refers there primarily to the universal church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But simply two chapters later, 
He does that in Matthew 16. Matthew 18, the second time he uses the word church, we learn that the universal church is manifested in particular local churches. When Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 18, verse 17, when your brother or sister sins against you, go to them. And then if there's not repentance over time, you need to tell it to the what? The church. Assuming that there is a physical gathering of people along side of whom you worship the Lord your God, local churches. And so this universal reality in Matthew 16, I will build my church, receives expression inseparably in the very many, the many local churches. This is also why, by the way, the New Testament will use the word church in the plural, churches, Acts 15 verse 41 give you a few passages. Acts 15 verse 41, Luke describes Paul in this way. Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural. It would be odd. It would be odd for the New Testament follower of Jesus Christ to claim, I'm a member of the universal church, but I'm not a member of any one of these local churches. Because these local churches were, in the apostles' mind, an inseparable expression of the universal church. Romans 16, verse 16, Paul informs the church of Rome, all the churches greet you. Not just all the church, all the churches, plural, greet you. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul writes that he has certain rules or instructions in all the churches that he gives, so on and so forth. Now, why am I belaboring the point that the local church is the inseparable expression of the universal church because, I don't miss this, let's bring this full circle, because to be a member in the universal church through faith in Christ demands, demands expression in becoming a member of a local church. Local church membership is simply that. It's an expression on the local level of universal church membership. That's what it is. Now, of course, this doesn't mean, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that, that the follower of Jesus Christ, the one who is trusted in Jesus Christ and become a member of the universal church, doesn't have at various times in various ways some situations and circumstances during which time they are not members of a local church. I would just suggest to that dear brother or that dear sister that that's an unnatural place to be for them and for their health. And we're gonna see that here in just a moment, I think. So what is church membership? What is church membership? Church membership is the status of being vitally connected to a local church as a member of the universal church. That's massive, Church membership is the status of being vitally connected to a local church as a member of the universal church. Why should you join a church? Why should you join a church? And this really could be a sermon all by itself. We're gonna try to do it as a part of this sermon. Why should you join a church? I'm probably gonna give you around six reasons. Some of them we'll spend a little more time on than others. I want to build a case for this because I think it's for our good. I think it's for our good and I think it's thoroughly biblical, which is our first reason. Why join a church? Join a church because membership is biblical. 
Now, is there a passage in scripture that commands, thou shalt join a local church? No, not necessarily. However, the Bible is replete with commands that assume, imply, and reveal the presence of church membership. For example, we have reason to believe that the early church kept a record of people. In other words, the early church knew who was in the church and who was outside of the church. The church in Jerusalem understood for whom were they accountable and for whom were they not accountable. The church in Antioch understood who were the members of of this church and who were not the members of this church. Acts chapter two, for example, tells us that there were 3,000 souls added to the church on the day of Pentecost. Why the number? Why the number? And why the precision? Well, we do not know the precise details of this record keeping. What this does show us is that they were able to tell who was in and who was out and they cared enough to do so. 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 5 addresses this position of widow in the early church. It actually, over time, becomes an office. And there's some debate about whether it's an office in 1 Timothy 5, but there, there is some formality to it because the apostle Paul informs us in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9, that the early church kept a record of widows who qualified and served as recognized church widows. They weren't averse to lists of people. What did that look like precisely? We don't know, but it seems that the early church understood who was in, who was out. And they weren't averse to these lists. Additionally, I would add, commands in Scripture, commands in Scripture assume the presence of local church membership. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Let me give you a few examples. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with whom? Well, the church of Rome would have read this as instruction to live in harmony with other members of the church of Rome. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 16, verse 16, greet one another. Now, is this a command for Christians to greet every Christian universally? Not likely. It'd be great. And perhaps throughout all of eternity, we'll be able to do that. But in the immediate context, this is a command for the Roman Christians to greet other Roman Christians, members of their church. Galatians 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Bear whose burdens? Those with whom you are in covenantal fellowship. Those in your local church. First and foremost, certainly beyond that, and we have the privilege of doing that from time to time as Christians, But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, I, I take it that the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches, plural of Galatia, each of those churches would have read this instruction and understood this means we bear the burden of our brother and our sister gathered with us in worship with whom we are in church membership. We could say it this way, membership in the local church gives the one another's faces and names. Membership in a local church gives the one another's in Scripture, all those one another commands, faces, names. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Who are my spiritual leaders? If not the leaders of the local church, or I am a member. To the leaders among us, for whom will you give an account if not for the members of your local church? 
I thank God that I don't have to give an account for the members of Wallace Memorial. I don't know them. Or Grace Baptist. I don't know them. How can I shepherd members I don't know, you see? This assumes the presence of church membership. It assumes a process of being able to identify the people for whom leaders will give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ someday. You see, all of these commands betray this undergirding reality that the New Testament church indeed practice church membership. Now, a word of caution comes from a biblical commentator named G.P. Lewis. Actually, he's quoted in John Stott's commentary on the epistles of John. Lewis wrote these words, and I find this convicting. Perhaps you do as well. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. He goes on to say, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. It's true, isn't it? Loving everybody, he says, in general, may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I have found this to be true in my life. I, I love people until I get to know them. I've had this conversation with my children and, and the reason I can share this is because the struggle that I find in their hearts, I, I recognize and I know it quite well. I tell them on a regular basis, look, please understand that I'm coming to you as your father and fellow sinner in need of the saving work of Jesus Christ. But we've often talked about the challenge. Why is it so hard for siblings to love one another? Because they know one another. Right? And then, you know, the siblings get around friends with whom they don't have to go home. They don't have to share a room. There's very little sacrifice in the relationship. There's little to nothing to forgive because they're all putting on airs and they're flattering one another and they're getting along great. And then those two friends become roommates in college. And in college you realize, aha, I loved my friends because I didn't know them and they loved me because they didn't know me. Isn't it true, dear brother, dear sister, and church membership contextualizes this for us. It moves us from saying, I love the church to saying, I love particular people with whom I'm in a relationship. It moves our love for the universal church to an expressed love for specific members in the local church. So that's first. That was probably the longest. I think it's biblical. Now, the, ex the forms that membership takes, yeah, that varies. It varies throughout church history. There are certain things we do here at First Baptist Pal, and we do those things because we are a 21st century church. But undergirding the forms and the processes is this basic concept in Scripture known as church membership. Second, second reason you should join a church 
Join a church to be by practice what you already are by grace. Join a church to be by practice what you already are by grace. That is, if indeed you know the Lord. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you've been united to Jesus Christ. Additionally, united, being united to Christ means being united to the body of Christ. And so, as we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is who you are. Local church membership is just an expression of that reality. In some sense, if you haven't joined a local church and you're a Christian, I would just say to you, be who you are. Be who you are. Third, in addition to it being biblical and being by practice what we already are by grace, third, join a church because you need, a spirit, you need spiritual accountability. You need spiritual accountability. That's popular, isn't it? We love accountability. Accountability is a blessing from God. I do not feel it when it happens, but I believe it. And I aspire to believe it all the more. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. This is a passage that years ago I heard unpacked. Actually, if I recall, it was in a sermon by Paul David Tripp years ago. And I'll never forget it. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. The blessing of accountability. Here's what Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says. Take care, brothers. We could say, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Be cautious. Your heart is prone to wonder, prone to leave the God you love. Verse 13, what's the answer? But exhort one another every day. Correct one another every day. Instruct one another every day every day. Admonish one another every day. As long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are vulnerable to sin's deceitfulness. And what's so tricky about this is that deceitfulness doesn't always come to us from outside of us, it wells up within us. We are inclined to believe lies about ourselves and about others. Those lies grow out of hearts that are broken by depravity. What is the answer? According to the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 3, Christian accountability. Brothers and sisters around me who are willing to say, dear brother or dear pastor, you're wrong on this. You're going astray. You're believing a lie. Or even just to caution me, I'm concerned because I'm seeing this pattern in your life. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Perhaps my concern is unfounded. You can speak to that. But just know that I love you and that's the only reason why I'm coming. This, of course, assumes a relationship is present, which we can get to in just a few moments. But Christian accountability is a gift from God. By the way, well, you're in the room. 
but I'm, I'm teaching us this, one, so that we'll believe it all the more, but also so that we'll be a blessing to others. Online church won't get you there. Virtual church is a poor substitute for Christian accountability. I think one of the reasons why virtual church has become so popular, even prior to COVID, prior to COVID, there were various articles that had come out in the past 10 years or so. I remember reading an article about taking the Lord's Supper with your bagel and coffee in your own kitchen. And I remember thinking, without the accountability of the body of Christ. In some sense, watching a pastor on a screen who cannot know you and walk alongside of you in Christ can provide some blessings, but it cannot provide Christian accountability. It can't do it. It's a poor substitute. Okay, fourth. You know that. You're here. And there are extenuating circumstances and a complexity that we cannot address this morning. Fourth reason, why should you join a church? Join a church because your spiritual growth depends on it. And this is connected to accountability, but your spiritual growth depends on membership in a local church. Throughout the New Testament, spiritual growth is consistently a corporate phenomenon. I'll give you an example of this. Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 and 16. There are a number of others. John 15 is another. 1 Peter 2 is another. But Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, now listen to the imagery, grow up in every way. Spiritual growth. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, that's corporate, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part of the body, each member of the body is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We talk a lot in evangelical circles about spiritual growth. And oftentimes when we, when we think about spiritual growth, we will consider reading our Bibles in isolation, which of course is, is, is a wonderful gift of God, a gift that many Christians throughout church history did not have, but we do post the Reformation. We'll talk a lot about spending more time in our prayer closets and, and that's indeed a gift and a biblical gift and a biblical practice. But when we think about spiritual growth, we don't often contextualize spiritual growth the way the New Testament contextualizes it as a communal or corporate phenomenon. That's what Ephesians 4 is teaching us. Because, and we've said this a moment ago, we learn how to love by being in a relationship with others who may be difficult to love. Right? True or false? This is true. We know this. We cultivate patience by being in contexts in which our patience is tested by beloved people around us. We forge the virtue of forgiveness as Christians. How? Through, cro through close relationships in which forgiveness is demanded from time to time. You will be sinned against and you will do your fair share of sinning. And in that process, by God's grace, you will cultivate forgiveness. Christians who roam around 
without the active accountability, spiritual sandpaper, and loving presence of a church family can develop spiritual pathologies that really do eventuate and materialize in isolation from the church. I often tell my wife this from time to time. This is just personal. I tell her, you know, if I didn't have you, I would be very odd. Some of you are thinking, hmm. But we joke about this from time to time. She does balance me. I, I, I think about it. My relationship with my wife. Now, some of us are called to marriage. We have the gift of marriage, according to the Apostle Paul. Others of us have the gift of celibacy. And what a privilege that is. None of us, though, possesses the gift of isolation. It's not a biblical gift. But for me, I have the gift of marriage. And, and Tana has trimmed, is trimming, The Lord through Tana is trimming some of those spiritual edges that need some trimming. She provides that that sanctifying grace, as it were, or is the instrument of that sanctifying grace. Why? Because, Because she's the most intimate relationship I have this side of resurrection glory. And it's through that relationship that I am being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I have the privilege of seeing things that I would not have otherwise seen. Well, in some sense, church membership does that for us. And we grow together. Fifth, fifth, a few more minutes. Join a church to serve. This is quick. Join a church to serve. The church is the context in which believers exercise their spiritual gifts. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're not going to unpack those details, but that's Paul's primary point. You are a member of the body, and as a member of the body, you contribute to the body. You're useful to the body, no matter what your function, no matter what your spiritual gift or giftings. These spiritual gifts are given to serve within and edify the body of Christ. So as you join a local church, you are given that opportunity, the privilege of developing cultivating and using the unique ways the Spirit has gifted you to bless God's people. And then sixth, last one. Why should you join a church? Sixth, join a church to show the world what it means to be a Christian. Join a church to show the world what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said this, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. That you what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church membership provides the context for fulfilling that essential command for believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, when a world in conversation with you, you're out to coffee with an unbelieving friend and they, and they ask the question, why in the world would you be a member of a church or a bunch of hypocrites in the church? You can say, indeed, In fact, you're talking with one of them right now. But these are hypocrites that are being saved. These are hypocrites that authentically believe that Jesus Christ gave up his life to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. And these are hypocrites who through faith in Jesus Christ authentically want to love one another as Christ commanded. We are a walking contradiction in many ways, but we are being transformed. What a testimony to a watching world. 
of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We really do have enough poor examples of people claiming to know and trust Christ while remaining completely isolated from the body of Christ. It's really ironic, isn't it? I mean, on one extreme, for those who claim to know Jesus have nothing to do with the church, with Christians, with the body. No, for you, provide a compelling example of what it means to be joined to Christ and his church through faith and love. Third, third question for us this morning, and we're going to conclude with this question. How should we respond? I know it's a lot of information. If you take notes, a lot of notes, perhaps. You can sift through these even later if you like. But I do want to outline a few more things for you in answer to the question, how? How should we respond? You could answer this probably, first of all, by joining a local church. By joining a local church. Here at First Baptist Powell, we, we host a membership matters class during which time you get to know the church and the church gets to know you to one degree or another. Membership is, is a serious and mutual decision. We're not the only church. Remember, local churches are the inseparable expression of the universal church. There are many churches. Thank God for that. I mentioned a couple of a moment ago. Many churches for which we are grateful. And I tell people on a regular basis, look, if, if you're here and you don't think you want to join this church, that's okay. We're not going to be harmed too much, at least not in eternity. Go join another church. But join a church. Commit formally to the local church. This is also why, though, the seriousness of membership, that is, why joining our church in particular, this particular local expression of the church, doesn't happen the first time we meet. We don't do that here. Some churches do. We're not here to criticize that, but, but we don't take a quick congregational vote when someone comes forward and says, I want to be a member of the local church. We, we think it's a process. We want to date a little while before we marry. We want you to get to know the church. We want you to know what you're getting into. One of the worst things we could do for people, I think, maybe, maybe unloving in the body of Christ, is to hoodwink them. They join the church and then three months, six months, one year later, they say, wait, you believe that? Is that what I got into? No, we want them to know what they're getting into. What are you committing to? One of the blessings of premarital counseling is I have the joy as a pastor to come alongside of this couple and to make sure they know what they're getting into. Right? That's what Membership Matters class does, in part, to a degree at least. There are some of you who have been coming to this church long enough to know that you want to be here. And you love this church. And you've not formally joined the church. I, I would say to you, as one short book was titled a number of years ago, In Love, as your brother, and in some respects, as someone serving as your pastor functionally, stop dating the church. Or to adapt a statement from a contemporary singer, if you like it, put a ring on it. Join the church. Second, how, how should you respond? Second, by engaging in the local church. Engaging in the local church. Don't just join... The bad illustration. Baptized them, made them members, never saw them again. 
No, engage in the local church. Gather when the church gathers. Hebrews 10, 25 exhorts, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Some, some who have been visiting the church for some time are more faithful in this respect than members. That's a tragedy. It really is. In many respects, they're being faithful examples, at least in that way, to our members of what it means to be committed to the church. Get involved in community by coming to church-wide events, Sunday evening times of worship, membership meetings. Come to membership meetings. I know it's not the most thrilling thing in the world, right? It's okay to say that, by the way. You know I don't live for membership meetings, I hope. But why do we come to membership meetings? Because we're members of the church. I had a conversation with someone recently. You know, if you're on a team, you're on a basketball team, why do you go to basketball practice? Because you're a member of the team. So if you're a member of this church, be a part of that. Come to membership meetings, invest in these times. It will take commitment and you will have to do things you do not like. Welcome to family. Don't sit at a safe distance from the life of the church. I can't tell you how often I hear people say, people who are unengaged in the life of the church, Pastor Perry, I just haven't been able to establish relationships in the church. Not always, but often. I never see them. This will take sacrifice, investment, engagement. Come. Engage with your time, your energy, your finances and gifting in this local church. Third, finally, how should we respond by serving in the local church? Joining, engaging, and serving in the local church. If we're honest about our own cultural moment, we are all to one degree or another consumers, aren't we? I hate that about me, but it's so true. A consumer disposition looks something like this. I have come not to serve, but to be served and to expect others to give their lives for me and my interests. On the other hand, Jesus asserted, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Christ gave up his life for the church, so we now are privileged to do the same. So join, engage, and serve, sacrifice for the church. We've answered three questions. It's been a lot of material. Let me tell you what we've already told you. First, what is church membership? Church membership is being vitally connected to a local church as a member of the universal church. Second, why should you join a local church? Because membership is biblical. You should join, secondly, to be by practice what you already are by grace. Thirdly, you should join because you need accountability. Fourth, join because your spiritual growth depends on it. Fifth, join to serve. And sixth, join to show the world what it means to be a Christian. Finally, how should we respond? By joining, engaging, and serving in the local church. In 1939, not that long ago, really, the great German pastor and author Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
published a work titled Life Together. This, by the way, was the same year Hitler invaded Poland. Due to Bonhoeffer's opposition to Hitler's regime, he would eventually spend two years in prison ending in his execution. He would eventually know what it is like to be isolated from the church, which is a bit ironic, I think. He wrote life together before all of this. I don't think that was accidental. And one senses as you read through life together on the pages of this book that this was a man who knew the value of being engaged in the church. So I want to close with some of his words. Here's what Bonhoeffer wrote in 1939. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. He continues, therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we believe that. We believe that it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with our Christian brothers and sisters. Christ Jesus, you love the church and gave yourself up for her. Having cleansed her with the washing of water and the word, grant us the joy of walking in your steps, loving the church, and giving ourselves up for her. We pray this in your name and for your sake. And all God's people said, amen.